This is New York Game Day with Anita Marks and Chris Canty on 98.7 ESPN. Anita Marks, Mike Tannenbaum, and joining us now is Jeff Schwartz, former Giants offensive lineman, now part of the media, part of us. Jeff, welcome into New York Game Day. How you doing? I'm doing great this morning. How you guys doing? Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us. Really do appreciate it. Um, of course, you're on with me, Anita Marks, and Mike Tannenbaum. Uh, let's dive right into it, right? Because you've got your finger on the pulse of this team, specifically the offensive line, because your brother is a chief. And I think a lot of people are underestimating next man up on this uh, Kansas City Chiefs offensive line. And maybe I'm wrong. This is why I really wanted you on the show, because this is going to be a really big storyline heading into the Super Bowl is that play of the Kansas City Chiefs offensive line without a, a number of its starters. So if you can kind of break the line down for us, and what are you yeah. expecting from them on Super Bowl Sunday? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's without four guys who were their starters to you know, pencil in to start the training camp, right? My brother hasn't played in three months at right tackle. Larry uh, ended up uh, opting out, and he's in, in Montreal. And um, you know, their center has... It actually was benched at one point this year, but he got his job back as of injuries. Their left guard, Kale, got hurt. It was a week five game against the Raiders. And then, obviously, we saw Eric Fisher, uh, unfortunately, tears Achilles last weekend. So they're out four guys. And uh, their third-round draft pick who at a TCU, they drafted uh, to put off a tackle. He opted out this year, too. So they don't have a lot of depth there. And I, I can't recall another time where Super Bowl team won with an offensive line as beat up as this offensive line is. And it's a, an advantage for Tampa. However, the problem is, is that Mahomes gets pressure all the time. and Everyone's open. Like, you have to also match up your secondary with the pass rush. If you, if you, can, if you can get home in two seconds or, or, or more, I mean, you know, two, three seconds, you have to also make sure that Tyreek Hill is covered and Travis Chelsea is covered because Mahomes will find the answers if you don't cover – um, his wide receiver. So, yeah, I think it matters a little bit, but not if you can't cover, you know, their the guys. We saw the first matchup, obviously, the first quarter. Tampa Bay played a lot of man coverage. Uh, they, they stopped doing that uh, in the last three quarters and played better, but it, 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 it doesn't matter if guys are open. And so I'm curious if Tampa adjusts their coverage knowing that the pass rush – um, for Tampa Bay could affect. We saw, and I went back and watched the Packers game. Yeah, the, the Tampa pass rush was really good, but if you watch the, the, the high copy, like, no one's open either. So it's not like Rodgers has Alex Hill. He sees the rush coming, and there's nowhere to throw the ball. So Tampa has got to be equally as good in the secondary to get home this weekend. Jeff, great to be with you. Miss seeing you up in uh, Bristol. Um, you know, we were just yeah. talking er- earlier about um, greatness and you know, my, my point was that, you know, Matthew Stafford hasn't shown greatness to the extent that someone like Patrick Mahomes has because just the fact that they're in the Super Bowl, given the state of the offensive line, I don't think Mahomes is getting credit enough. Um, how do you see the, the matchup going in terms of as a play caller? Do you think Andy Reid will maybe look to not necessarily run the ball more, but more of a quick game, get the ball out of his hands? Like, how, how do you see – their preparation be impacted, especially by losing uh, Fisher last week. Yeah, well, you give you give Andy Reid two weeks to. <laughs> he's pretty good. I mean, he's twenty six and five now off of buying including the playoffs. So back to his time with Philly as well. I think what they're going to do uh, because Tampa's run defense is number one in the NFL. Uh, I think what they're going to do is try try to supplement the run by getting to the edges as much as possible with Tyreek Hill and Hardman, and you know finding ways to you know do the jet sweeps, the fly sweeps. Even just throwing the ball out on RPOs, um, or even just bubble screens, like finding ways to get guys in space on the edge, and not so much attacking Tampa Bay between the tackles. I don't think they want to do that, anyways. You know, Andy is not fond of running the football; he tries to pass as much as possible. I think they're going to supplement the the run game by just trying to get to the edges, trying to get his his speed players on the edge. Um, and you know, it's, they get two weeks, man. They're going to come up with some wild stuff. We saw last year in the Super Bowl; they ran that play from the Rose Bowl in the 40s. I mean, they're gonna, they have two weeks to prepare. I think they're going to have plenty of answers for what Tampa wants to do. Uh, to me, it's more about what Todd Bowles is going to do on defense. Um, you know, if, you, if you blitz Mahomes, that's never good. So you got to get home with four. And then, like I said, you have to find a way to not, not allow open guys early in the down. Now, that obviously gives you trouble because if, if the Chiefs offensive line blocks it up, 
then you know Tyreek Hill and Hardman and Watkins might play this week, and all those guys, Kelsey, will be open down the field late. And so it's it's a game that Todd Bowles has got to figure out what he wants to do in that matchup. But Andy Reid will have stuff. I'm not worried about about Andy Reid, uh, who have plenty of options. It's incredible how many guys are just open all the time. I mean, the scheme is just next level. He is he is a, a wizard of coming up with uh, with offensive scheme. Again, uh, Jeff Schwartz joining us here on 98.7 ESPN. Uh, you know, one thing that I don't think is being discussed enough, uh, Jeff, is the fact that the Kansas City Chiefs have three defensive coaches uh, that are on their team that were on the Giants team when they beat Tom Brady not once but twice. Uh, Steve Spagnuolo, of course, Spags, defensive coordinator, uh, Dave Merritt, um, who's their DB's coach, and Sam Madison was actually yeah. a player in, in 2002. Uh, and now he's the cornerbacks coach. And so these three gentlemen not only know Tom Brady extremely well and how to get to him, and, and, and I, I want to ask you about the interior uh, pass rush from the Kansas City Chiefs uh, with Jones and, and Clark, but also how, how to counter JPP. You know, you know, as we all know, defensive linemen have certain moves. It's, it's, it's always great when an offensive lineman has a, a step ahead in knowing how to counter and how to play that defensive lineman. So I'm, I'm, curious, to, I'm curious to get your thoughts. Like, how do you think their knowledge of both JPP and how to go up against Tom Brady is going to factor into this matchup? Well, I don't know if, if the knowledge of JPP is going to matter very much. I mean, there's so much film on, on him now. Uh, you know, we, we know what he wants to do. I thought he was really good against uh, Billy Turner, the Packers' backup left tackle. Uh, he just a masterful performance. They, they attacked, um, you know, they basically ran JPP almost inside a bunch of Shaq Barrett high. So it forces, if Rodgers wants to step up, there's JPP. If he wants to step back and out, there's Shaq Barrett. I expect there to be some similar rush uh, rush assignment this weekend. JPP also, he, he beat a double team one time. The guard was ready for him to come inside. He went outside and beat, and beat Turner around the edge. I didn't want to see all that from JPP. And I'm really glad you mentioned the, the matchup between Spags and Tom Brady because uh, even going back one week, so when the Chiefs played the Bills in week six, they blitzed Josh Allen like crazy. It was like 15 to 31 snaps uh, when he went to throw the ball in that week six matchup. And they just they blitzed his, his throwing hand nonstop, just from the right nonstop. And guess what they did on Sunday? The exact same thing. They blitzed the heck out of Josh Allen, and the Bills had no answer whatsoever. In the first matchup against Tom Brady, guess what the Chiefs did? They blitzed the heck out of Tom Brady. And guess what they're going to do this weekend? They're going to blitz Tom Brady. And so does Tom Brady and Bruce Arians have an answer for the pressure? There was a good thread the other day on, on Twitter. I think the account is like at Blitzology. I, I didn't know their account. I started following them. And they, uh, they broke down some of the Super Bowl uh, where Tom Brady and Spags went at it. Obviously, Spags is a DC, and the unique things that he did on defense, given the, the two weeks to kind of fool Tom Brady, simulated pressures, uh, showing showing corner blitz, but actually playing like cover two behind it. There's some unique things, and you give Spags that time to figure it out. He's been proven now, especially last year, uh, to do a great job in the playoffs. And that's something about the Chiefs' defense is, you know, when when you you look at their numbers, they're not like they're not that good. I mean, they're in the middle of the road in, in DVOA, uh, red zone defense, worse than the NFL. But they're really good at, at, at defending the deep pass. They're really good at defending uh, uh, um, uh, explosive plays. You know, Honey Badger does a great job of seeking out the ball and kind of being a game wrecker. And so they just do enough things during the game, especially in the playoffs, to make it work. And, and you mentioned Chris Jones. This is a huge matchup for Kansas City. Tampa Bay's offensive line, fabulous. They have three guys that should have been all pros, their left guard, their center, and their right tackle. But the right guard, Alex Kappa, got hurt a couple weekends ago against Washington, actually. And their backup is not very good. And Chris Jones is going to have a major advantage against the Bucks' backup right guard. And they're going to have to find a way the Bucks are to slide Ryan Jensen over there and help him out a little bit. But the Bucks have the advantage in this game in the trenches. <clears throat> so all in all, with uh, you know now Fisher going down, how, what do you how do you see the game going? What uh, what's your prediction? You know, is it it's, it kind of feels very simple. The Chiefs are the better team, right? They if they play a B game, they can still win. Um, if they play an A plus game, Tampa's not going to win. Um, but there are ways Tampa can win, right? There's three or four or five ways. And I'll just refer people back to last year. You know, we said the thing about the Chiefs' offense last year. No way the Chiefs can be stopped. No way they can be stopped. Well, they were down 20-10 with seven minutes left in the Super Bowl. 
And um, if they're down 20-10 in this game, I bet you Tom Brady hits a wide-open Kittle for, for seven yards on third and six for first down, right, which, which Jimmy G didn't do. I, I bet you hit Sanders wide open for a touchdown to win the game. Like, there's, there's um, advantages to having Tom Brady over Jimmy Garoppolo in those situations. And so uh, there are, there's a path for, for Tampa to do this, uh, but they're going to have to score 30 points as well. So a lot of the pressure is going to be on that offense for Tampa to really click this weekend. I still think Chiefs win. Um, and then the numbers at three, I would take them to, to win this game by touchdown. So um, I'll stick with the Chiefs. But you know what's interesting is, like, when you look at the success that Tampa's had, especially in the postseason, they've been balanced. And that's kind of been Tom Brady's career. You know, I've been on the unfortunate end of a lot of games against him. <laughs> yeah. The Jets are the top. And I just feel like their success of trying to run the ball, play action, get the ball over the linebackers' heads, really plays well into keeping Mahomes on the sidelines. And – Maybe they could shave one possession in the game. You know, yeah. maybe they have eight instead of nine or seven instead of eight. And that to me is – and I've been around enough defensive head coaches, but I think if Bruce Arians looks at this game and says, our offense really gives us the best chance to beat Patrick Mahomes, and we want – we're not going to just sit on it. We want long, sustained drives that ends in touchdowns. And I think Agreed. if we come out of this game – where it's 25 passes, 25 run attempts, to me that would be the best way for Tampa to win. Well, we know Bruce Harris likes to run the ball on first down. I mean, <laughs> it feels like every first down, but, but obviously it sets them up for some flash and pass later. No, I mean, there, there, again, there is definitely a path to this. The Tom Brady thing is really interesting because people have asked me, I covered him on my podcast this week as well because my, my podcast co-host is a Jets fan. He just despises Tom Brady. And he's like, the luckiest quarterback ever. Like, all these guys, so three interceptions and all and so here's my thought. I play with Eli Manning, um, you know, not obviously as good as Tom, but you know, two-time Super Bowl winner. And when I got in the huddle with, with Eli Manning at the end of a game or just knowing that, like, hey, man, he, he can win this game for us. If we just do our job, I know this is New England's mantra, but it's very true. If you just do your job and not worry about anything else, just do your job, your quarterback in the end will win the game for you. It feels like Tampa plays that way, right? Okay. Devin White, just do your job. Levante David, do your job. JVP, do, just do your – nothing more. Just do your job, and in the end, Tom Brady will help you win the game. I feel like that's the confidence that Tampa's playing with right now. They're not trying to do more or less. Just do, do what your coach tells you to do. Do what your assignment is. Make a play, and in the end, Tom will help you win the game. And, and whether or not he did that last week, he really didn't. But that's kind of the mindset, in my opinion, of why his teams kind of play well as a team – in the playoffs because they all have this confidence that your quarterback in the end, who's the most important player, I'd argue all sports will, will do the job. So you just do your job. Tom will do his job and we'll win the game. That to me is what the kind of the quote unquote luckiness or the, the whole team playing well, when it comes to playoff time, that that's my take on it. Uh, I, I, I didn't play with Tom, obviously didn't win a Super Bowl either, but that's kind of the way I feel Tampa plays. Yeah. Jeff, you know, what's interesting about what you said is I think going back to what you said about, Andy Reid coming off the bye and Eric Bieniemy, what they can scheme up. I think what they do a great job of is they're going to try to use Levante David, Devin White's athleticism against them. You know, they do such a great job of not allowing you to set the edge and be influenced by misdirection, uh, jet sweeps, you know, motion. And they do yeah. such a good job of playing with the linebackers' eyes. And I think you're right. I think if David and White are disciplined, it's really going to impact this game because you get Hardman or Hill on the edges, and we saw what happened against Buffalo. Those one or two plays just change the whole like context of the game. It does, and I'm going to go forward. I mean, there's, this is such a great game. Like, there's so many, so many ways that that either team can win or lose, um, and the coaching matchup is just great, right? You have Andy Reid, Eric Bieniemy against Todd Bowles. You have Spags against Leftwich and Arians and Tom Brady. Like, this is just. It's going to be a great game. I, I don't think it's a blowout either way. Like I said, I think the Chiefs win. But, again, this would be – I'm trying to think of back. Like, this will be one of the worst offensive lines. Not, not their fault, obviously. They're a bunch of backups to win a Super Bowl in quite a long time. I'm trying to wrap, you know, wrap my, my head around the Like, at least – I mean, I, I can't even think of an offensive line that was this beat up to win a Super Bowl. So, it definitely is something to watch out. Again, Jeff Schwartz joining us. Hey, before I let you go, just out of curiosity, um, in, in regard to Patrick Mahomes' toe, uh, do you know anything? Like, I underestimated um, just how great he would be dealing with that toe issue. Granted, now he's had two weeks. Um, we did not see him run much, 
But what what do you anticipate yeah. in regard to Patrick Mahomes and and how bad is this toe issue? Do you know anything about it? I, I thought it would, I thought it'd be worse last weekend, honestly, and it yep. really didn't affect them. And, and you know, the one part of the game that is underrated is you know Andy does use him on the fourth down a bunch. Those, those speed options are great plays. Speed option is a fantastic play against man coverage, and even better against zero. Um, I think people don't you know they they kind of oh why are you running Pat Mahomes? It's a great play. It's their best short yardage run. Uh, in in their playbook, it's a great play to use, and so I think the Super Bowl you unload everything, um, and so I would expect them to 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 have that up if they determine that the look is good this weekend to run it against. Jeff, great stuff as always. So appreciate your time. Uh, we miss you here in New York. In, enjoy the Super Bowl. Thank you. Take care, guys. You got great it. Being you with got you, Jeff. It. Take care. Hour two, New York game day here, 98.7 ESPN. Anita Marks, Mike Tannenbaum. Uh, we got Rich Semini who's joining us this hour, but uh, we've got a, a, a pretty bad blizzard that is heading our way. So uh, I text my good friend Amy Freeze, who does a phenomenal job, meteorologist here uh, in, in New York, and she said, sure, I'll pop on. So here she is. Amy, hi. Good morning. Hi, Anita. Uh, yes, we've got a nor'easter coming. Are you ready? Tell me. Tell me what to do. Tell, tell me, give me all the deets. Give me all the deets, Amy. Um, it looks like the snow gets started uh, later tonight. We know we've got all this cold air in place, but the storm is coming up from the south. Uh, after 6 or 7 o'clock, the flurries start to fly, and then we get snow accumulations overnight. So waking up tomorrow morning, only a couple inches on the ground when we get started on Monday. That's enough to slow you down, be slick, but that's not the brunt of the storm. That actually comes during the day tomorrow where we could see blizzard conditions. That means that we'll see uh, winds above 35 miles an hour, low visibility, and of course the snow and blowing snow throughout the day. I think the worst of it's going to come 3 to 6 p.m. on Monday. And then by the time this storm is over on Tuesday, we could see up to 10 inches in the boroughs. We're giving a range of 6 to 12 inches generally across the area. And then there's this bullseye for northern New Jersey, more than a foot up to 18 inches. So this is a big storm. Oh wow, eighteen inches. So so yeah. so what what like what townships should should that would be through northern New Jersey. While we don't have exact places, it's kind of a general area. So if you just um, if you think of those counties, Sussex, Essex, even into um, the closer in suburbs of New York, north and west of the city, you could see potentially uh, 12 to 14 inches of snow. What will happen is that some areas close to the water, including South Jersey, will get mixing, some sleet and rain. That makes their, low, their totals lower. They don't get as much snow stacking up. But where that area is coldest is right over northern New Jersey and so that's where you get up to 18 inches possible and the other interesting thing is that the track of the storm is going in just the right position where the city itself could get more than a foot of snow and so that is a very powerful storm because normally we get some of that mixing or the track is a little too far north to keep the cold over us but this time around it's a little different so make the preparations don't take any uh, risks or put yourself in jeopardy just get everything done today so you can hunker down to Tomorrow. Okay, and so and and this is uh, and not that you have a crystal ball as a meteorologist, <laughs> but, but this is is this is this the last one? Like you know me, I've got to get back no, on the golf course, over. Amy. It is not over. It is not over till the till the uh, last snowstorm happens, which can always be all the way into March. But I know how you are, Anita, and so here's what I've got for you. 15 days until pitchers and catchers report. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> Just hey, for hey, you. Hey, hey, Amy, any thoughts on the Chief Buccaneer Super Bowl? Uh, I'm all Chiefs all the way, baby. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, do I, I mean, I don't mean to put you on the spot and, and yeah. you know, and not not that you forecast Tampa, but um, and, and I know it's a week away, but listen, it, it, it's Tampa. I'm sure the weather conditions will be nice. And I love that. you. I love that you're all for the Kansas City Chiefs. Way exactly. to go, Mama. Yeah. Yeah, go KC. I love Coach Reed. Uh, exciting to see him back at the Super Bowl. And as far as Tampa goes, I mean, I know they're not having many people there this year, but a lot of the first responders are going to be in Tampa all week leading up to the game. And lucky them to be in the sunshine. They deserve it. Fantastic. Great stuff as always, Amy. So appreciate your time. I know you're really busy today. And, uh, and, and we, like I said, we, we so appreciate you. Stay safe, my friend. My pleasure. Hey, Anita, I have to give a shout out. My friend Trevor Lawrence listens to your show all the time. He is a huge fan of yours. And he made me say, pitch out. He wants to play in a foursome with you. So write it down. Trevor Lawrence, huge fan. 
Okay, just, 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 to cl- just to clarify, this isn't the Trevor Lawrence that quarterbacks for the Clemson Tigers no. is. Oh. No, he's, a, he's an FDNY. He's a local guy, but he is a diehard listener. That's my payback for today. Don't bill me. Just, just take Trevor Golfin. You, you got it. Done deal, my friend. Done deal. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. You got it. You got it. She's fantastic. I love it. You know what I love? I love when I like when I jump in a cab. When I used to jump in a cab, I, I remember the last time I was in a cab. But when I used to jump in a cab, and you know the cabs have those little TVs in the back seat, and uh, and and Amy always had a, a weather forecast video uh, in in the back of the cab. It was it was always it was always cool to see her. Anyway. Yeah, you don't have uh, to worry. You don't have to worry about eighteen. <laughs> you don't have to worry about eighteen inches uh, coming your way on on Monday or Tuesday, Mike. You and you get to golf. Uh, yeah, I, this is a good time of year to be down here. Um, it's uh, I don't know what else to say, but yeah, yeah, it, that's it. it. it well, yeah, let's yeah. just let's, uh, yeah, yeah, because we're we're all we're all extremely jealous. Okay, as we went to a break before we dive into the Senior Bowl, which you were at. Um, I, I do want to, I want to get your thoughts with Iris phone call because I thought he made a, a good point. Like, Hey, you know, is, are, are the Rams underestimating this quarterback class that's coming out this season? And again, my take is, I just think they're in a win now situation and they feel that, that Matthew Stafford gives them that best chance. Do you agree or disagree with that? Yeah, I thought I remain a few points. I think there's a, again, a number of ways to look at it. I think with the Rams, they're sitting there saying that. Matt Stafford over the next two years is clearly better than any option. You know, Trey Lance played one game this year, for example. Justin Fields, I like a lot. A little bit of a developmental guy. By the way, we'll get to senior bowl, but I think Mac Jones played himself into the top ten this week as well. So, but I think fundamentally they made the decision that John Wolford, think about this, they're in a playoff game, and they go with John Wolford over Jared Goff. So that tells you everything you know. I think from the Detroit standpoint, I don't think Detroit's in there saying like, okay, well, now we have Jared Goff. We're good to go. I think for them, they have a new coach. They have two guys that like to run the ball in Anthony Lynn and Dan Campbell, two guys I've worked with both at the Jets and Miami. And I'm sure they're looking at that 2018 season when Todd Gurley had 17 rushing touchdowns and Jared Goff played really well. So I think Goff's style, when he's at his best, really fits Anthony Lynn and Dan Campbell. So I think it's going to be a, you know, cautiously optimistic approach with Detroit as well in terms of do they have their quarterback moving forward? You know, Dan Campbell, uh, what an interesting press conference he had the other day talking about eating kneecaps. Yeah, so, you know, Dan's a guy that uh, we hired in 2015 in Miami. Um, he, he was our head coach for 12 games. He went 5-7, and seven, uh, former player, former tight end. He is a passionate person that uh, can inspire people. Uh, that press conference uh, probably went too far, um, and I think he'd probably be the first one to tell you that. He's really a, a tremendous leader, tremendous person. I love, write this name down, Aaron Glenn. He's a guy that played for the Jets. He's somebody that we hired in the scouting department around 2011, and he will be an NFL head coach. I am That is a stone-cold mortal lock. Aaron Glenn, within the next two years, will be a, a head coach. He interviewed um, for a head coaching job this year. And I'm very confident that Aaron Glenn's a coaching rock star. So I think Dan Campbell put a really good staff together. Um, they have a true identity of how they want to win. And I think Goff is a, you know, cautiously optimistic, let's go by what we see acquisition. Um, an- another press conference that did not go over well um, was uh, the Eagles' new hire, Nick Sirianni. Um, w- w- did-, did you see that one? Uh yeah, um, you know, I, and I happen to like Nick. I think he's going to do a good job. And I think we got to take these press conferences a little bit with a grain of salt. You know, first of all, they're on Zoom. And I don't know about you, Anita, but, you know, I'm not so sure that I'm great on Zoom. Like, it's it's a different dynamic. Come on, I'm Mike. Not excuses, you know. Mike. Not excuses. But but at the end of the day, it's only a press conference, Anita. They did, that's not what he was hired to do. I'm not, I understand, but 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 a press conference. You, you I mean, you see a lot about a, a person and the way that they address people. You know, I, I mean, I would. What's your? I, I would. I would have the. I wouldn't have the job that I do today if 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 I if I. I I, I just I don't I don't like. I I understand what you're saying. It's one. Pre- look, look what happened with Adam Gase's press conference. That was a poop show, and look what happened. <laughs> I mean, it's just, you know, you've heard the phrase before. You only have one chance first impression. 
And, and that's so true in life, Mike. We both know this. We've been around the block several times in our careers. You only have one time, one chance to make a first impression. And these impressions are horrible. Horrible. Like, I, like, I sent that video to a bunch of my friends who are Eagles fans, and they're just like, I, 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 we, we, we can't. We can't. Like, we don't even. Like, nobody knows what even to expect this season. Anyway. Um, what, uh, what, what's your concern <laughs> based on his press conference? It's just, you know, you, you want to set the tone. Also, if, if we're watching those press conferences, Mike, you know the players are watching that press conference, and they're going, really? I'm going to run through a brick wall for this guy? Maybe, maybe Dan talking about eating somebody's kneecaps. But Nick, that press conference? I, you know, I, it's just, I don't know. And again, listen, I'm, I, I know now I'm making a mountain into a, a, a Right, a mountain from a molehill, but I just I, I think I I I I I don't know. I think they're getting started on 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 the wrong foot. Just my two cents. Um, again, I know we want to dive into the the senior bowl, but before we do, uh, because we've been talking about quarterbacks so much, I want to share a tweet with you that Adam Schefter sent out this past week. He's got over eighteen quarterback changes in the NFL this year. Over eighteen. I have under eighteen. And a big reason why is, you know, I'm sure he's he's considering Dallas and Dak and Wentz and the Eagles. Um, but here, I, I just want to give you my list of teams that I have some question marks. Here's the teams that I know for sure are going to have a quarterback change. The Patriots, the Colts, the Jags, Denver, the Saints, the Lions, Washington, and obviously now the Rams. Here's the teams that I have question marks on. Miami, the Jets. The Bears, Green Bay, although $31 million cap hit, that's a lot. Pittsburgh, Texans, Atlanta, Carolina, um, Las Vegas, and the 49ers. Everybody else, I, I think, stays the same. So I'm going under here. Is there a team that I left off that you feel might surprise us? Yeah, you know, I, I, and I've talked to Adam about this. There's some other teams that you really got to bring into the mix because when you talk to people around the league – and you look at the 2022 draft, there's just not a lot of quarterbacks coming out next year. Keenan Slottis from SC is probably the best one. So if your team's like Tampa Bay, um, who may be like a year away, Atlanta, and certainly Dallas are three teams that may go get their quarterback for 2022 and 2021. So, And here's the other thing that I think is a fascinating conversation, Anita. There's basically, in my opinion, five quarterbacks that could really change the NFL maybe for the next 25 years in the next couple of weeks. And that is player-led movement in terms of saying, you know what, I'm not, I'm not going to play here anymore. Um, you know, we saw it with Matt Stafford. You know, we could be seeing it with Deshaun Watson. And then you look at other guys like Carson Wentz. And, and then even more fundamentally, like Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott may say, you know what, I'm only signing tender. I have no interest in signing a long-term deal. So those five quarterbacks, Anita, when you, again, factor in Stafford, Watson, Wentz, Prescott, and, and Aaron Rodgers – if they say, you know what, I'm not going to be here anymore, just think about all the things you just talked about and then layer on top of that those other five players. And I think we could be looking at truly just a sea change in how the NFL conducts its business. And I think we're going to be taking a big step towards the way the NBA is where where James Harden says, you know what, I'm not playing here anymore. Or, you know, Kevin Durant, you know, some are free agents, but some are under contract. And I think that's going to be the fascinating part of the offseason. Interesting. You mentioned the Bucks. Do you think Tom Brady, if, if the Bucks win, do you think Tom Brady retires? I don't. Yeah, I don't either. But, again, if you need oh, a quarterback. Because you mentioned the Bucks, I see yeah, I no. see Tom Brady being there again next year. Right. But, but here's my point, Anita. If you need a quarterback to start for your team in September of 2022, right now there's only two, looks like two high quarterbacks in the 2022 draft. So if you need a quarterback for September of 2022, you need to draft them this year or get him under contract for a multi-year deal, much the way that Kansas City traded up for Patrick Mahomes and still started Alex Smith his rookie year. So Atlanta, Dallas, and Tampa are going to need quarterbacks by 2022. They may draft that player this year. Right, right. Okay, no, I, I get that. I'm just, I was referring to, I mean, Adam Schefter said 18 quarterback changes. 18 well, teams, not, 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 eight, not 18... He, Adam Schefter's tweet was there will be 18 different starting quarterbacks 
on different 18 different teams. That's a lot, Mike. But but what I'm saying is it, it impacts the market if, for example, let I'm making this up, but let's say Tampa Bay signs Taysom, um, well, Taysom Hill's under contract. Um, they're not going to re-sign Jameis Winston, but let's let's say they sign Andy Dalton to a three-year deal. That's going to impact the market. And Tampa Bay may sign Andy Dalton to a three-year deal because then they'll know that, hey, one, we have a great backup behind Brady. Two, whenever Brady retires, we have another guy that we really like and he can learn the system. So Matt Ryan's close to the end. And again, we don't know, like all the noise about Deshaun Watson is fascinating to me on a lot of levels. But no one said to, hey, Dak Prescott, like, what are your thoughts? What happens if he says, I'm only signing the franchise tag? That's going to impact Dallas's strategic planning. It's it's this this free agency uh, the next few 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 weeks slash months uh, right after the Super Bowl heading into free agency and of course the draft is is going to be a magic carpet ride. It is New York game day and Rich Samini who does a phenomenal job uh, covering the Jets joins us now. Uh, Rich, welcome in. How you doing? Good morning, Anita. Thanks for having me today. Don't let Mike Tannenbaum uh, give you a hard time. I'm the reason. I'm the reason why we're starting this interview a bit a little bit late. I took us over. I was waiting for him to chime in at any second. Good morning, Michael. How are you? <laughs> All right, Rich. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. We haven't talked in a while, so uh, not much going on in the NFL right now, is there? <laughs> <laughs> That's an understatement. Uh, let, let's turn our attention to what's going on here in New York with the Jets, uh, and and you know, obviously, a lot more news with the Jets than with the Giants right now. And your thoughts, you know, obviously, you've interviewed, you spent some time with Robert Salah. Uh, a lot of people love this hire and think that this was the absolute. Um, high, the must-have, the must-hire, the smartest hire out of all the new head coaches uh, that we've seen. W- what are your thoughts about Salah? Yeah, I really like it. I, I thought, you know, sort of identified him as one of the top guys at the beginning of the process, and evidently the Jets did too. And I think after his initial Zoom interview with the Jets, he skyrocketed to the top of their list. And uh, I think he's a good fit. Um uh, I've said, I've written this, he's the anti-Adam Gase, and what I mean by that is, you know, he's he's not going to be focused on one side of the ball. He's going to be more of a CEO coach, which I, which I think is exactly what they need. I think he's more of an outgoing personality than Adam, and so I think he'll do a better job of connecting with the players. And so I think those are two really important things that the Jets were looking for in this search, and I do think they found the right guy. Now let's you know, let's, I've said that in the past before, and it hasn't worked out with coaches. It all depends on, as Mike knows, the GM's his job is to get him players. So now Joe Douglas has to get him players. And what do you think is going to be the biggest challenge, Rich? I mean, it seems like the to-do list for the offseason is going to be pretty long, but can you just, you know, for all the listeners out there, like if you were sitting in Joe Douglas' seat, like what are the top three things that you feel like he just absolutely has to get done this offseason? Uh, well, quarterback, quarterback, and quarterback, I think would be the top three. Uh, you know, he's got to resolve this situation with, with Sam. And, you know, they've been very, uh, you know, complimentary of Sam publicly, which is what I would, would expect them to be, uh, you know, after the season. I know Robert, he wasn't just blowing smoke. I, I, I wrote it before his comments. I know he really likes Sam. I think he feels that there's, there's untapped potential there that a, a change in scheme and coaching can bring out. Now, whether that, rises to the level of making him the starter next year they have to figure that out and i'm not sure they've reached that conclusion yet they still have to do a lot of scouting you know we're just getting into this you know the draft college scene right now yesterday was the senior bowl they have to dive into justin fields and zach wilson and the other quarterbacks and see uh you know if they have higher potential than sam and of course we have this deshaun watson issue you know i think the jets will be involved in that mix to some degree and so they have to weigh so many different things, but that is number one for, for you know, is just resolving that quarterback situation. What do, what do you think does happen there? Uh, you know, it, you know what what if again? What we're hearing is the Texans are like, no, this is our guy. You know, we're not letting him go from the new head coach to the new general manager. But you know, if a player is is disgruntled, he wants out. It sounds like Watson is forcing his also. Uh, Watt apparently reports or is that Watt wants out as well. If that's the scenario and the Texans are asking for the world, Rich, and, and I know there's a lot of 
stock capital uh, here when it comes to drop picks. Do you feel that this is a this is a no brainer, or do you think that there is a line in regard to what Joe D will pay for Deshaun Watson? Well, the answer is both. I mean, I do think it's a no brainer, and uh, you know, I've written this, I've said this. You know, when a guy like Watson becomes available, you go after him. I mean, unless you have Patrick Mahomes at quarterback or you know Josh Allen, a younger guy of that ilk. I mean, you have to go after him. Sam Darnold's coming off a bad year; he's only got one year left on his contract. And so he's got a very murky future. you got to go after Watson. Now, that doesn't mean you just, you know, write a blank check to the uh, Texans, so to speak, and give them absolutely what they want. I mean, you have to be judicious about it. And so I, I, I kind of laugh at some of the pundits who say, oh, the Jets should just give them whatever they want. Well, the Jets have the second pick in the draft, and I think people are underestimating the value of that. I mean, if you take the second pick and the 34th pick, which the Jets also own, those two picks are the equivalent of three first-round picks based on the trade value chart that, that many teams use. So uh, to say Joe Douglas should give three or four first-round picks is just insane because those two picks alone, two and 34, equal three first-round picks. So I would give those two and a little something extra to make that deal. You know, Rich, I, I, I see that differently because here, here's why. I wouldn't get off the phone with Houston without getting the deal done because if at the end of the day it costs you an extra second pick, second or third round pick, or even a good player for sake of discussion, Quinn Williams, I'm making that trade for a couple of reasons. One is over the next 15 years, you may not find Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson has impeccable character, great leadership. He's a top 10 player. He's under contract. He's 25 years old. You could go find Quinn Williams. You could go recover a second or third round pick. And here's the other thing that's just the sober reality of the situation for both Jets and and Miami, which is this. You're sitting at a dinner table right now with Josh Allen. He is an A. You know, Darnold and Tua, they could be Bs. They may be slightly better. But could you imagine if you're the Jets and you're a second-round pick away from getting Deshaun Watson and Miami swoops in and gets him, and now for the next 10 years, you're going to see Josh Allen twice a year. You're going to see Deshaun Watson twice a year. And, oh, by the way, what do you think? They're not going to stand pat. So – there right. is, I'm just saying, like, sitting in that seat, Rich, like, whether or not either team admits it, they're thinking, like, oh, my God, like, we may have to overpay slightly, but worst-case scenario is we don't get this done, and he's in our division. Yeah, I mean, I would give up 234 and maybe a future two and, and something. I, I include Darnold in the deal if they would want to take Darnold. I don't know if I'd want to give up Quinn and Williams, though. I mean, that's basically the equivalent of, like, a, a low first-round pick. I mean, that's that's a really, really good player, a building block player. That would be a tough one to uh, to give up. Um, at the you same see, time, I, I, it's just really I, I see Quinn Williams as a good football player. I think he's solid. Do I think he's dominant? Do I think he's Aaron Donald? No. And, again, like, if, if you believe in your scouting process, you could go find a Quinn and Williams, like, they haven't found a quarterback in a long, long, long time. There is no risk in this player. He's the face of your franchise. So if you want to go out there with Quinn and Williams and Justin Fields, go ahead. I'd rather go out there with Deshaun Watson and take my chances. I could go find a defensive lineman. Yeah. Well, I think I think we're on the same page in terms of like the end result. We both agree that the Jets should should really make a hard, aggressive push for for Watson. Maybe we disagree a little bit on the. Uh, compensation but i agree with you all those things and plus the culture change too mike you mentioned his character and his leadership i think he walks into that locker room the jets have been talking about improving the culture for weeks now since they made this change at coach and i think watson does that i think he just brings a certain level of i don't know just credibility into the locker room that would have a a domino effect on the rest of the people in the locker room and it's very difficult to put a price on that so i do think that's another positive as well and you have a new quarterback and a new coach starting at the same time. I mean, today's Robert Sala's birthday. He turns 42. What a, what a great – maybe a delayed uh, birthday present to him would be getting to Sean Watson. So it's going to be fascinating. I mean, the next few weeks are, are just going to be uh, – I, I do think ultimately Houston will trade him. I mean, they can say, you know, they can pretend they're not for as long as they want. But I think ultimately the player has a lot of power in this situation. Yeah, Again, Rich Samini, Rich Samini joining us here on 98.7 ESPN. Um, uh, really quick, because we only have Rich for a few more minutes, um, but I, I know that you were uh, 
you had posted some things about Woody Johnson being back in action. Um, you know, there's so much criticism in regard to this franchise and in, in, in the lines of communication, how both the general manager and the head coach both have lines of communication to the ownership as opposed to, um, you know, other organizational cultures. Uh, with Woody back in the mix, is, is, that, is that going to change now? Is it Woody and Joe and then Robert? Like, or is there going to be anything different in regard to the organizational culture that we're going to see with this organization moving forward, Rich? Well, they did change their structure. I mean, they were pretty transparent about that. So instead of the way they had been doing it since 2015, which was having the coach and GM report directly to the owner, they've, they've got back to more of a conventional method where the coach reports to the GM who reports to the owner. So they're back to that model. Um, I've always been in favor of that model. You know, it's a little bit more old-fashioned, but I, I think it works when you have an ex- inexperienced owner, which is what they had under with Christopher. But now that Woody's back, he's more of an experienced owner. Ultimately, I think it comes down not so much structure. It just matters the people you have in those chairs. I think if you have good people in those positions, whatever structure you have will work. You know, and, you know, the Jets just haven't been able to get it right the last few years. They just been they haven't been able to – get it all on the same page, you know, whether it's coach, GM, owner, it just seems to be off. But, you know, now maybe with the new structure, a new coach, a GM who picked his coach, who this wasn't an arranged marriage, he actually picked the coach, so you would think that would benefit the Jets. Hey, Rich, I got a big uh, sort of question for you, big picture, in terms of this sort of like player-led movement that you've covered in the NFL for a long, long time. And I talked about Stafford and possibly now Deshaun Watson, uh, Carson Wentz, Dak Prescott, possibly Aaron Rodgers, where they're sort of even under contract. Dak Prescott's somewhat different, but leaving an organization much the way we're seeing in the NBA, I think this could be a huge offseason and sea change. I'm just curious to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, just from – well, two thoughts. One – you mentioned the contracts like I think a few years ago and you would know this better. I, I, we didn't see this type of contract get moved. Everyone was like, well, they can't take a $20 million cap hit. That's ridiculous. It'll never happen. And now teams are doing it. You know, they're taking the cap hit. You've seen it with Goff and Stafford and last year, you know, Antonio Brown on the Steelers was a major cap hit. Uh, so teams are more willing to do that now, whereas a few years ago it would have been like unheard of. And the other thing is just the power of the player now. Um, you know, I remember Parcells a couple of times, you know, if there was a player when he was with the Jets, and I mean, you know this better than anyone, Mike. I mean, if there was a player who was upset or didn't want to report, I mean, Parcells would just put his foot down and say, that's it. The player is not going to shoot his way out of town. I, I recall him saying stuff like that to me. We're not going to let him shoot his way out of town. And now players are shooting their way out. I mean, uh, Jamal Adams did it with the Jets a year ago. And you saw uh, Jalen Ramsey do it, you know, with Jacksonville. And now Watson is doing it. So the players have unprecedented power right now. It's it's, it's really an interesting time. Uh, Rich, thank you so much for spending some time with us this morning. Really do appreciate it. I appreciate you and appreciate your insight. Thank you, my friend. All right. Take care, guys. Thanks for having me. You got me. it. Thanks, Rich. Uh, again, Rich, Rich Simini. Make sure you follow him on all things social media. A couple of those, and every one of them is tremendous. And and I wouldn't expect this to be any different. They got it. They got a tremendous team there. So and those two have a lot of respect for each other. You remember when Tom came into the locker room? after the championship game and talked to Patrick and Patrick responded like, you know, a young, young guy would respond to the goat. And, and so, um, you know, we, we look forward to the opportunity to play them. And I, I know Pat does with Tom and likewise, Tom, I'm sure does, you know, with Pat. So it'll, it'll be, should be a heck of a football game. Andy Reed. Some people are, uh, saying that this is the best quarterback matchup ever in the history of, uh, of the NFL. Um, it is New York game day here on 98.7 ESPN hour three. And it is time for my locks of the week brought to you by BetMGM sports. All right. So like I said, Mike, there, there's a plethora of, um, it's the third time I've used that word in the show. I love that word, um, that we can bet on right now. We're still a week and a few days away. So I'm going to share with you the, my three favorite 
bets that are out there. My three favorite prop bets that are out there right now. You ready? Go ahead. I know you're on the edge of your seat. Uh, Tyreek Hill <laughs> over seven. Over six and a half receptions for minus 110, which means that he's going to need seven receptions. And by the way, Scotty Miller, thank you very much for the bulletin board material. What makes him think that he's faster than the cheetah? I just, I think that's ridiculous. Um, He took Carlton Davis to school in week 12 when they faced each other. He had 15 targets, 13 for over 270 receiving yards, three touchdowns. And also keep in mind, this is a very young an inexperienced safety group in Whitehead and Winfield are both injured. They're going to play, but one's dealing with a knee issue or an ankle and the other one's dealing with a shoulder issue. And, you know, I think Todd Bowles, and we're going to get into this with, with Eric Mangini in, in 30 minutes, and I'm excited to have him on the show, but, like, it's kind of like Todd Bowles, pick your poison, right? You play a cover one man or a cover two you know, now Tyreek, you know, um, Tyreek Hill's going to destroy you. You play a cover two and you know, um, Travis Kelsey is going to kill you. So it's like pick your poison with both those guys on the roster. I just don't think you're going to be able to keep Tyreek Hill down below six and a half receptions. Thoughts? Yeah, I I agree. He's too good of a player. And um, he's, he's, I don't know how we can say he's not the best receiver in the game. So I can see Tampa winning and, Tyreek Hill still getting his touches, so I agree. I, I think he's going to be um, touching the ball quite a bit. Um, Brady, under 295 and a half passing yards. Uh, this is a bet that I've cashed in on three weeks in a row, why he has not passed for over 220 passing yards in his last two um, Super Bowl uh, playoff games. Um I'm sorry, he has not passed for more than 280 yards in his last two games. He's only averaging 55% completion percentage. And I really think that this is going to be a different game for him considering, A, he's going up against a defensive coordinator who knows what makes him tick and what doesn't, and also the pass rush that he's going to be feeling from the interior of the pocket with both uh, Jones and Frank Clark. Your thoughts over under Brady, 295.5. Yeah, under, because I think they're going to try to run the ball and stay balanced. So I, I can see Tom Brady being like the 225, 230 range. And last but not least, it's, it's kind of a double-edged sword here, and it plays into what you just said. Uh, Leonard Fournette over 43 and a half rushing yards. I think this is a no-brainer. Now, granted, you've got to be concerned about Ronald Jones, but Fournette has been the premier back in that backfield through the entire postseason. And here's a fun one for you as well, because I know you, you like golf. Will, will Leonard Fournette have more rushing and receiving yards combined than the final round of the waste management golf tournament next week. And Webb Simpson won it last year. And so you're talking, just to give you an idea, you're talking about a round of like 69 to 70, 72. So, so the bet really is combined rushing and receiving yards for, for Leonard Fournette over 70 because I'm averaging it out right over 70 uh, than the final round of the Waste Management Tournament. And so I'm going over here as well. Yeah, I like that. I, I think Fournette's uh, increased his uh, role. And but his hands, it's weird for as great of an athlete as, in, as he is, it's never natural, but he's been productive. And I think he'll be productive, you know, next Sunday as well. So those are those are my those are my three locks of the week. Again, brought to you by uh, BetMGM Sports. Place your parlays, props, and future bets um, at the King of Sportsbooks, and make sure you get the app today. I want to share two more things with you uh, in in regard to betting. So this is how I see the first series playing out, and I'm really curious to get your 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 thoughts on this. Okay, so so for our listeners, Kansas City is the visiting team. The visiting team, they're the one who make the call. On, on the coin toss. Now, Tails, Mike, has come up two straight Super Bowls and six of the last seven. The NFC has won the, the coin toss six of the last seven. Now, go back to week 12. The Bucks they won the, the, the coin toss, and they deferred, and they've been deferring. So that's what I anticipate them doing. So, it, so if the Bucks win the coin toss, they're going to give Kansas City the ball in the first series. If Kansas City wins the coin toss, I think they should keep the possession, have more possessions as possible. And like I said, you've got a Kansas City secondary. 
Antoine Whitfield, uh, Anton Winfield is a rookie. Whitehead and Carlton Davis are only in their third year. Devin White and both the starting corners are in their second year. Todd Bowles came out and, quote, quote, said, mentally, they're still puppies. Listen, this is a big stage. It takes a minute. You, didn't, you probably didn't sleep the night before. You've got butterflies in your stomach. You know how it works. These guys are going to not, they're going to be a show of themselves, I think, for the first series, if not two. If I'm Andy Reid and I'm Patrick Mahomes, we've been there before, we've done that, we got the free t-shirt, heck, we won this damn thing last year, we know what it takes. I think they, if they win the, the coin toss, accept it, move down the field, and put up seven points. So this is how I'm playing the first series. Coin toss, tails, at one, minus 105. Team to receive the opening kick, Kansas City at minus 130. Team to score the first touchdown, Kansas City at minus 130. And the the first scoring play of Kansas City will be a passing touchdown that you could get at three to two. That's how I'm playing the first series. Your thoughts? Wow, there's a lot there. Um, I don't know. I feel like in the Super Bowl, it's always like an unusual, like first score. Like it could be, you know, Antoine Winfield on a scoop and score or, you know, like a backwards pass or I don't know. Something just tells me like the first score in the game is always a little interesting and weird um i do think tampa would win and defer um i can see kansas city taking the ball just because that's who they are so i think it's real more probable than not that they'll start so interesting a lot of different things you can bet on huh oh you have no idea um and last one for you before we take a break and that is um kansas city two total sacks at minus 125 Chris Jones, a sack at plus 105. Frank Clark, a sack at plus 105. I'm playing all three of those. And like I said before, you know, Spags, he knows knows Brady well. Strahan, the year that they won, said, you do not realize if we don't hit Brady, we don't win. And I'm sure that is what is being communicated to that Kansas City front seven as well. In 2008, Brady was sacked five times. Um, and, and really the key here is, and, and I think it's, we had Jeff Schwartz on not too long ago. And he said, the thing is getting after Brady with only four blitzing him, not very often and spags in Kansas city, they don't blitz much. Um, I think the third fewest, uh, blitzing percentage in the NFL, and they keep a lot of guys in coverage and, and further back, they give you the five yard reception, the seven yard reception, and they do extremely well at tackling. So, um, again, I'm going Kansas city, total sacks. Uh, two total sacks, and then Chris Jones and Frank Clark both getting after Tom Brady. Your thoughts? No, that sounds about right. Um, it, you know, we talked a lot about like the other side, but uh, of the other side of the ball with Jeff Schwartz. But I think Jones and Clark will be very productive. So to me, that makes a lot of sense, Nita. Okay. Well, usually, usually you tear me apart, man. <laughs> <laughs> usually you tear me apart. You want more wine. I owe you two cases already. (laughs) Maybe you could just send me like a sleeve of golf balls and we'll call it even or something like that. You got it. You got it. Cause I'm having a good time. Having a good time. Shooting star leaping through the sky. It is New York Game Day here on 98.7 ESPN. Um, Without further ado, we've been telling you this gentleman's joining us all show. And sure enough, here he is. Eric Mangini joins us on 98.7 ESPN. Eric, welcome in. Great to have you on the program. How you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Uh, beautiful weather here in Cleveland, so you know, excited. <laughs> yeah, we've got a blizzard headed this way. Uh, we, we we've got about a foot that's going to be uh, we're going to meet head on uh, tomorrow around three o'clock. Uh, but nonetheless, let's dive into this uh, this Super Bowl matchup. And from what I understand, you went back and you looked week twelve when these two teams faced each other and you did a deep dive into that analysis, uh, what, what were you able to, to analyze and see in regard to how maybe it could be a different outcome for the Tampa Bay Bucks? What do they need to do differently, Eric? Well, when you look at it from, from an offensive perspective, they were able to get pressure on, on Tom and, and really both of his interceptions came due to pressure and they were, they were called, one was called pressure one was a reaction to them being in, in an empty set that, that triggered a pressure. But throughout the course of the game, they, they had success with, with getting to him and hitting him. And, and part of that is, you know, as Tom went to a new system and learned a new system, he doesn't have all the, the answers the same way he would have 
if he was running the same system that he had always been in. And it's a, it's a little bit of, of a stretch, too, with the receivers to all be on the same page as, as well. So that that's a little bit of a, of a problem that they, they it seems like they've overcome to some degree. Um, but, but they're going to have to because Kansas City is going to try to light them up again. So getting some of those quick answers, I think running the ball more effectively or more consistently, I mean, they, it was almost six yards a carry last game, but it was only 13 carries. I think that'll help them mixing in some, some screens. And I like the no huddle for Tom, too, because that eliminates the disguise by Kansas City, and that slows down the, the variation that you're going to get. So that that's the one thing I'd say that, that Tampa has to do offensively. And then defensively, it's – it's really three things. It's making sure that you're disguising the coverages because Mahomes is at that point, like Brady and Manning, where if he knows what coverage you're in, it's going to go to the right place. The second thing is you got to keep him in the pocket. And then I know he's a little bit dinged up, but this is the Super Bowl, so all bets are off from that perspective. And when he breaks out of the pocket, those broken plays become big plays. Um, and then the third thing is you got to disrupt the, the timing of the receiver. This is a... West Coast offense, it's based on spacing and timing, and they've got to get up and hit those receivers and incorporate a little bit of combo coverage on, on Kelsey and uh, Hill. Hey, Eric, on that last point, that goes back to a little bit of, uh, I remember when you were the defensive coordinator for the Patriots and you are playing the greatest show on turf and the Super Bowl in New Orleans against the Rams. Is Do you see some similarities on how you think Tampa Bay has to defend the, uh, the Chiefs much the way that you guys had to defend the Rams that day? Well, one of the things that's interesting about that parallel is we did play the Rams earlier in the season, and we tried to bring a lot of different pressure, and it was zone pressure. And there was some success, but the there were too many holes, and they were too good at what they, they, they did for us to really get what we wanted to out of, out of that package. So, yeah, we went to a whole different mindset of we were going to try to beat up the receivers every single play and not give them those free releases. And it, it's harder to do than, than just, you know, saying it. There, there's a lot that goes into that. But with a West Coast offense, with spacing and timing, even if you try to bring pressure, they've got answers. And, and if they get to their spots, Mahomes is going to get the ball out. So it's, it's got to be mixed in where, where you're hitting those guys. And, Eric, what about the fact that uh, we were – talking earlier to uh, Jeff Schwartz. And so Kansas City basically has five backups, and they just lost their left tackle, Eric Fisher. Mitchell Schwartz has been out. Would that impact how you would try to attack the Chiefs? Well, I, it's not a it's not a game where, where you're going to have a ton of called pressures because of, of their, their quick answers. I do think if you can slow down how quickly the receivers get to their spot, then you're going to have a chance for that defensive line to really affect Mahomes. And, and, and they did. They did uh, somewhat in the first game, but just not, not allowing the ball to get out of his hand quickly because you're, you're up on those guys. And then, then you have to keep them in the pocket. And, and that, that's easier said than done, too. You've got to keep him in the pocket. Otherwise, he's going to kill you on those broken plays. Again, Eric Mangini joining us here on 98.7 ESPN. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm really fascinated. I'm, I'm really curious um, how Todd Bowles in, in the coverage he's going to play, right? Like cover, if you go like, you know, cover one man or, or cover three, then, you know, then Tyreek Hill can kill you, especially on the outside. You go cover two, then Tyreek, and then Travis Kelsey can kill you. So it's, it's kind of like pick your poison in, and, and, and yep. this is what this is what's so great about having both those guys with their skill set on that offense, um, because they both can kill you. So I, I mean, yep. you know, if 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 you're in the meeting with Todd Bowles, you know, how, how are you? What, what type of coverage are you telling him to play, Eric? Well, yeah, those guys combined for 350 yards of the 462 last game. So you. You're going to be sick if, if you come out of the Super Bowl and, and those are the two guys that, that killed you again. And, and you, you're not going to stop them, but, but you need to slow them down. I like, I like the idea of, of doubling both of them. So if you get into a split safety look and you've got both safeties back, 
potentially it's a, a high-low double, double on hill, so you can get up, jam them, even if he beats you off the line of scrimmage, that's fine because you've got the safety over the top, and then probably more of an in-and-out double on, on Kelsey where he's going to run more of those you know, shorter, shorter routes. He's going to sit down in zones, but you can get up and press him too, and then the safety now is doubling on the inside or he's doubling on the outside depending on what you want to do with, with the low guy. Uh, and everybody else is going to have to hold up. Everybody else is going to have to, to be able to, to hang on with, with the matchups uh, of the other personnel. You can't do that, that every play, but mixing in enough of that so that um, you, can, you can have an answer if you want to take those two guys out. Eric, uh, just switching gears here, you know, there was a new head coach, Jess Hire and Coach Sala. You know, you sat in that seat. What would be the two or three things you would tell him that he needs to do to be successful, especially, you know, in this market? Yeah, that, that, is, a, uh, that is a tough market. It, it's, it's the advice I give to any new head coaches, and, and, you know, I went through this, and, and a lot of guys go through this. I had two very strong football fathers as you know mike with bill parcells and bill belichick and and i know even when i raise my my own kids i sometimes hear my dad's voice as i say certain things so uh there were a lot of things that i took from them that i wanted to incorporate and and i believe in and and i still believe in but i didn't always do it in my own voice and and authenticity is incredibly important and and you can do Everything you want to do, just make sure you're doing it in in the way that that is sincere to to who you are. And 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 look, that comes with with maturity and experience. But that would be my first first piece of advice to him. You know, Rodney Harrison said to me when I got the job, he said, "Look, Eric, be honest to the players. They may not like what you what you're saying, but they'll respect you, and they'll appreciate that you're giving them a chance to fix the problem." And, and I believe in that. I believe in that too. And I'd say with the with with problems that come up, face them head on. And and being a head coach, you're going to have to have a lot of hard conversations. And and you gotta you gotta face those head on. And 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 if you do that, it gives you a chance to get them fixed. Um, I, I'm curious. You know, thoughts thoughts on and, and again, I don't think enough is being discussed about this either. And that is besides Tom Brady, who, you know, has just been, been to an, an enormous, a ridiculous number of, of Super Bowls in, in postseason experience. But, you know, there's a lot of young players on that Tampa Bay Bucks team, specifically on their defense. Really, if you focus in on their secondary, it's it's just, you know, you, you from from their safeties to their corners and, and even their stud linebacker. You're talking about guys who haven't been in, in the league more than three years. Playing on this stage, playing bright lights, big game like this, going up against a Kansas City team who's been there, done that, got the free T-shirt just less than twelve months ago. You know how how much how much is that going to come into play, especially maybe in the first few series, Eric? It it's it's big, and and having Tom in that room and 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 being able to talk to those guys and share his experience. Is, is a huge edge. What you don't want to do is everything's longer with the Super Bowl. The pregame is longer, halftime is longer, the buildup is longer, and you can you can get exhausted in the buildup before the game because you're on you're on this mindset of, of of how that that process works, and and it's different. And you've got to make sure that that the the build is slower, the burn is slower, so that when you get to the actual game. You're not you're not already already spent, and even in the course of the game, what what happens after the, those first few series get done with? You realize it's it's the same game you've been playing since you were you were a little kid, and and yeah, the ante is is obviously upped, but it just goes back to making sure that that you're taking care of of what you're supposed to take care of. I'd say another edge Tampa has is whenever you have Tom on the bench. There is a sense of, hey, if we just take care of what we need to take care of, he'll take care of the rest. Great. Any any final thoughts or, or questions for uh, for Eric, Mike? 
Yeah, one more. Uh, obviously, there was a historic trade last night. Uh, I'm sure that you got a chance to see, you know, Jared Goff going to Detroit for Matt Stafford and a bunch of picks going along with Jared Goff. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, trying to trying to get my head around it. I, I think that that both teams actually won. It sounds like Detroit is interested in having Goff be their quarterback at least in the in the short term and and they're going to have to commit to that because he's his uh his salary this year and his his bonus next year uh best I think what the second day of the league year Mike right. so there there's going to have to be a two year commitment to to him and then to get the draft picks that they got an additional first round pick for the next two years uh gives you a chance to to build your team in the vision that that you see, or you know, that you hope to, and plus the third round pick this year, the numbers are are good. And from from the Rams' perspective, they feel like they need to get someone that can can push it downfield a little bit more. That can give them more more punch from that position. And and they've never shied away. Actually, they've been the leaders in terms of trading away draft picks for for established players, and they've had success. So it's hard to knock them. For, for for that aspect of it, it's it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. Goff's numbers are very comparable to Stafford's in terms of quarterback rating, completion percentage, touchdown percentage, interception percentage. He's significantly younger. The uh, I think it's a win for both teams, but potentially for what they're looking for. Great stuff, Eric. We so appreciate your time uh, this Sunday morning. Thank you so much. What, where can people find you uh, this week? I'm sure more Super Bowl analysis. Uh, what will you be doing? I'll be doing the, the FS1 shows, so usually first things first, and and Colin Coward, and, and um, uh, I'll pop up on, on some other spots here and there as the week unfolds, but, but those are usually the two. Make sure, make sure when you're on Colin, make sure you give my 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 girl Joy a lot of love. I feel like whenever whenever Colin has guests on, it's always him and the guest, and and Joy doesn't get enough love. So give her a shout out for me, please. <laughs> I will. Joy Joy is, okay. is fantastic, and I know she's. she's I've known her. I'm from Miami, and I know I know her brother extremely well. I've known her since she was a young pup. So I'm I can't be more thrilled for her, and she's just so fantastic. So, Eric, thank you so much. She is. All right, thanks, guys. Uh, Thanks, Eric. You got it. This is 98.7 ESPN.